Aren't you glad you're a son or a daughter of God and that he's not going to forsake you because we sometimes forsake him. Boys and girls, I think y'all are heading downstairs with Mr. Todd. You still got the special stew, Todd? Todd was uh, brought in this morning. Some of you may have seen it in the uh, lobby there. He made up a stew. I guess he found out kind of what the supposedly the stew of beans and lamb and all that was at the Last Supper, and so he made some of that up, and he was going to use that as an example. And, uh, you know, again, such a people who volunteer and use their gifts to teach kids and do such a good job. I appreciate all that they do. Well, God knows that our boys and girls need as many positive and enthusiastic influences in their life as possible in this world that we live in. We are starting again today on James, picking up in chapter 4. Now, you will remember, some of you may remember from a previous lesson, that when the Bible was written, they didn't have the chapters and verses. That wasn't like part of the holy text, okay? That was done later by the editors. So sometimes, I, you know, we don't necessarily just break it down like that. And today is one of those sections. I believe that section from chapter 4, verse starting in verse 11 through chapter 5, starting in verse 6, really go together. And we see here that James gives three warnings, okay? Now we've looked at in a pretty exhaustive way, I think many of you would agree, at what James is trying to do here. He wants people who believe in Jesus, they have a Jewish background, that's important to remember, okay? He's writing to those people and he's trying to help them understand how important it is to put your faith into action. And so we've attempted to look at how that applies to us. I mean, we're not Jewish backgrounds, but we are Christians and we definitely struggle in this world like in any world to put our faith into action and let it be more than just our words. And so, so this is the backdrop that we're looking at here when we get some warnings from the writer. And look, we need warnings. When you see a warning sign, it tells you what? That there's danger ahead. Some of you work in, in places where there's danger of falling objects, right? And so when there's a warning, you either need to have a hard hat on or you got to pay attention. You know, if you see a warning sign in traffic, you need to, to pay careful attention. You know, if, you, if you're signing a document and there's warning, warning, what does it mean? It means you need to really read carefully. You need to look what's happening here. And so, so James kind of gives some warnings, and I think that these three things are things that we struggle with. And he looks at what those are. He starts in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 11, and look what he says here. He says, Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. We're going to look at the rest of that, but basically warning number one we see here today in the Scriptures is don't focus on what others are doing or not doing. Okay, here's a warning. Don't fo put your focus on what other people are doing or not doing. And this is a theme throughout James because it's very easy to get focused on what other people are doing or what other people are not doing. And what happens when you do that? You lose focus on what you're supposed to be doing. In this particular instance, look at the three things he says about what they were doing. He says they were speaking evil of others. Don't do that. We're not supposed to speak evil of others. You remember what Grandma used to say? If you don't have something nice to say, what? Don't say anything. There's a lot of wisdom in that. You know, is, and there's plenty of things people do that we want to say negative things about them, but we should not speak evil of others. We shouldn't be critical of others. Now, I do want to say here, the particular word in Greek has to be 
the idea of criticizing them when they're not there to defend themselves. See, that's the big deal. Like, it's okay, actually, to be critical of others if they're there to answer you, and then you can actually have a, a, a biblical disagreement, and you can come to terms with what you need to be doing. What it's saying is don't criticize them when they're not there to tell their side of the story or defend it. Look, when, if you find yourself wanting to be critical of others when they're not around, that's a problem. Don't do that. Okay, And then ultimately, don't be judging others, which is what we're doing whenever we are speaking evil of them and being critical. We're judging what their motivations are, all these things about them, and we're not supposed to do that. And obviously, it's a warning because it's something that we all have a tendency to do. Much of the scriptures talk about not judging others, not being critical of others, because it's very, very difficult. Look what it says in verse 12, what your job is. It says, but your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? What James is really saying to these believers is, look, when you take it upon yourself to be critical of other people and to speak evil against them and to judge them, you're really speaking evil against God because God created them and specifically people who are in the church. What's happening is you're giving God's people a bad name because you're talking about this other person instead of addressing whatever that issue is with them or in the right context. Look, the Bible never says that everyone should agree on everything or that we should all you know, be roses and all that kind of stuff, but no, there's a process. Whenever you don't see eye to eye with someone, you go to them, in the other parts of the New Testament, you go to your brother and you address that issue, but whenever you start talking bad about them or her, guess what? Now you're trying to put yourself in a position that you don't need to be in because ultimately what they're doing, whether it offends you, whether it's right or wrong, that's not your concern. Your job is to do what? Obey the law and to figure out what you're supposed to do. And how many people in life are all twisted up because their focus is what other people are doing or not doing in place of focusing on what they should be doing. This happens from the time we're very little kids. When you have siblings, some of you have siblings and you have little kids and you, you know, you're, you're a parent. When you start trying to point out what one person is doing, what do they almost oftentimes want to do? Well, so-and-so, you know, again, so-and-so did it. Well, you let so-and-so always focusing on what the other person is doing. And we're not supposed to be focusing on what they're doing and by default really making ourselves judge over whether what they're doing is right or wrong. Jesus had some pretty strong words to say about us judging other people. I mean, and that's what we like to do. We like to sit above them and try to determine what they're doing. Is it right or wrong? And is it better or worse than us? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. What's he saying there? Focus on what, don't focus on them. Don't focus on what they're doing wrong. Don't focus on how they didn't do what they should. The focus needs to be on what God is doing 
in you. Don't focus on what others are doing or not doing. Focus on what God is doing in you. Think about how many of your problems in every area of life would start to become much more minimal if you could quit worrying about everybody else and what they're doing or not doing. There's plenty of wrong to go around. There's plenty of blame to go around, but ultimately you and I don't have the right and we aren't appointed as the judge to blame others. This is a very important warning, one that will really help you in life if you can focus on what God is doing in you and not focus on what other people are doing or not doing. Because ultimately what happens is we, we want to, and this is why Paul, uh, James says this, we want to be the judge because we're afraid that they're going to get away with something that they shouldn't. Well, they shouldn't be able to say that about me, or they shouldn't be able to get away with doing that. They shouldn't do Again, see, we're trying to place ourselves in a position that we don't need to be in. Let God be the judge of all of that. He has the power to, to save, destroy, it says. You just focus on doing what you're supposed to do. But see, we're told that's weak. That's weak. That's weakness. And maybe it is. But they said Jesus was weak too. But guess what? Through his weakness, he saved the world. So we got to be very careful and focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on. Now, the next warning is found in James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Let me read it. He says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So the second warning here is found, and really, I'm gonna, it's, it's kind of gen generic here, and we'll talk specifically, but it says don't focus on yourself. And so what do I mean by that? Well, let's get a little context. So the reader from James would understand this probably a little bit better than you or I would, okay? Because remember, during this particular time period, um, it was a time whenever they were trying to build cities in the Roman Empire, okay? They were trying to start cities. The world wasn't as populated as it is today. And so typically what they would do when they were trying to form cities is they would enlist a certain group of people that they felt were influential and different things, and they would make them citizens of this particular city. They would deed them land. They would kind of put them in charge of an area, okay? And so almost invariably, the Jewish people, the ones who were scattered, they were always invited as these starting citizens of the world because they had money. You know, Jewish people from the very beginning, because as a people, they followed God's law. They saved money. They were very conservative in how they handled their money. And so they, they typically, they became bankers and tradesmen throughout the world. And so what James is saying here is there were people, obviously, in this group of Jewish people who were boasting about the fact that I can go to any city where I want and I'm going to go over there, they're going to invite me there and I'm going to stay a few years and I'm going to make a fortune off of what they're doing because they would go in and they could really take advantage of the situation and they could use their prestige and their money in these ways to go start these and be a part of these things. And so that's really the context there is the focus is on themselves and what they can accomplish. 
And, and really the larger context here when it's talking about focusing on yourself is what you can do and what you can accomplish. Now, it's very challenging, right? Because he tells us don't really focus on other people and what they're doing. We need to instead focus on what we can do or what God can do through us. But we also have to be careful. Another warning is we can become so self-reliant and so self-important that now we lose focus on what we should be focused on because of all that we can accomplish. And humanity has accomplished a great deal. You know, there are some unbelievably talented, successful, wonderful people who follow principles and accomplish many things. And these are all principles, many of them found in the Bible. But what happens is, just like with the enemy, when you lose focus on God, it all becomes about me and what I can do and how I am the security and I am the one who can sustain everything. And this is very challenging. It's, it's difficult for human beings because we are taught and we know that, hey, if we make plans, if we work hard, if we're diligent, all of these things are very important. We're taught to do those things. But we're taught to ultimately trust in God, not in ourselves. Look at what some of the writer in Proverbs says. And starting, I'm just read a few verses here. 19:21. He said, "Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand." Proverbs 16:1 and 3. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. 16:9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And that's really kind of what. James is trying to say is, yeah, you work hard, you do your thing, but ultimately God is the director of the universe. And you should, you know, plan to do things, but you need to commit those plans to the Lord. That's why he says you should say, hey, if the Lord wills it, or if it, the Lord's will, I'll do that. Not if it's my will. The psalmist, multiple places after, you know, <clears throat> he's talking to us about how important our life is. So in James, these people were saying, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to accomplish all this over the next year or two. And James is saying, look, you need to think about something a minute. Here's the warning, all right? Don't get lost on all your accomplishments and what you're going to be able to do and what you're planning because that is only going to work if it's part of God's plan. Furthermore, he says, Think about the reality of the future, and it's not always just what you think it is. And so the Bible is very clear that, that our life is not necessarily determined just by our own actions. There's many things happening that are beyond our control. And one of those things is the amount of time that we live. Not a single person in here got to determine the day they were born. That was at the hand of someone else. And guess what? Barring taking your own life and bad decisions, you don't know when the day that you'll leave this earth will be. And amazingly, that time, even if it's a full life, just doesn't seem that long. The older you get, the more you realize how short it is. Todd and I were talking about this. I mean, Brendan, I remember when he was walking around as a little kid. Now he's graduating. You know, I see my own kids. I see people, you know, and you all know that life, life moves fast. Look at what the psalmist says in the scriptures about how life is. In Psalms 39, 4 and 5. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days only a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. 
Psalm 78, 39. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Psalms 90, 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalms 103, 15 and 16. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. Think about how quick life moves. James says it's like a morning mist. When the sun comes up just that fast, it's gone. And it happens more quickly for some than it does for others. But life is brief. When we're young, we think we're going to live forever. But then the older we get, we realize that, man, this is going way faster than I had thought or than I had planned. Now, what are we to make of this warning? Are we to be fatalistic and, oh, man, it's just all going to be over before it, you know, before it starts. It's done. No. We're supposed to what? Treasure the days that we have. Number those days. Look, so many of us are, are seeing inflation in our world because there's just an overabundance of money out there in the world, okay? Well, guess what? Whenever money shrinks, inflation shrinks. Whenever there's a scarcity of something, what happens to it? Whatever it is. The price and the value of it does what? It goes up. So listen, the same is true of our days. When you understand the reality that you only have a few days to live, and your days are really scarce, they're highly valuable. I mean, every day you have is a gift. It's something to be treasured. It's something to be used. How often have we, all of us, misuse our days thinking that we have some other amount of them to use for, to fix it, to do that then. I think often, more recently than ever, of what I've put off that I should have done because I thought I could do it later. Listen, this is a warning that we should all heed. Every day is valuable. We should approach it in such a way that this is something that we want to use and allow God to use. Look, don't focus on yourself and what you can accomplish tomorrow. Instead, we should focus on what God's working in our life each day. You know, it's very easy to get lost in the routines of life and just think, oh, I'll deal with that later. And for someone who's a true procrastinator, I can testify to that. But at the end of the day, that's not right. And I need to heed this warning that, hey, every day matters. I should do something of value and of importance because I don't know when it would be my last. But even if it's not snuffed out in a short fashion, guess what? They're still very limited. How many people are expending all of their money and all of their talents to get something? their health, and when time is the most valuable asset they have. We don't know. we got to number those days and focus on how God's working in our life each and every day. Now, the third warning we see here really kind of builds on what he's had as a theme in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. You'll remember, apparently, as a result of the fact that many of these Jewish believers were wealthy, okay, all right, and you remember, so, so these were, generally speaking, wealthy people. 
But as they reached out to other people, remember you had some of these prejudices against those who had and those who didn't have. And so we see um, in this verse, let me read this to you. It says, look here, and some pretty strong language here. He says, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent year, your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Look, what he's saying here, the warning is don't focus on money. Don't focus on getting rich. These people, many of them apparently had placed all of their focus on riches. Now, if there's ever something you and I need to hear about in this life, it's that. Because we live in the wealthiest country that's ever existed. All right. Now, we all, you hear me say this, but every one of us is tremendously wealthy compared to the vast majority of the world. The fact that we have all the sets of clothes that we have, the fact that we'll try to figure out what we're going to eat and how much of it when we leave here, and there'll be arguments between families about, well, I want this or I want that or blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, we have a car. Our kids have a car. So, I mean, we, we're wealthy people. And so we have to look at how do we heed this warning. And I think the key is, is that we just can't focus on money. And it's difficult in a materialistic world. I mean, what, everything's about what? Dollar, dollar bills, get money, you know what I'm saying? Security, all of these types of things. But the Bible says that's not going to lead to anything real positive, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How many people think that, man, if I could just get some more money, I could just have a little more security. And see, money, it, it, it's not just about money. You notice that whenever he talks about, in James chapter 5, I don't want to go into a lot of great detail, but this may interest you, he uses three different analogies. See, in the ancient world, currency wasn't the way it is today. We're very fortunate we have, you know, dollar bills, right? And we have a currency. In the ancient world, wealth was me measured in basically three things. Land, which produced crops, which he says are going to what? Rot away. Clothes are fine garments, which he says are just going to be nothing but moth-eaten. And then he says gold and silver, which he says is going to be corroded. So he basically just hit kind of all three of them, and he used very specific language there that, look, all of the things that you count on, if it's money, if it's security, if it's whatever, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to bring you happiness. Look, just go, go look at the, the pages of those who are famous who have money. They're depressed. They're drugged out. They're on medication. They're going through relationship after relationship. Why? Because all of this fame and fortune didn't bring them happiness, and it, it's not going to. The Bible says that. Money and the love of it, Jesus said, is the root of all evil. Listen to what he said in 1215. He said to them, to his disciples, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. Covetousness is where we just want something that somebody else has. We want more. For one's life does not consist 
in the abundance of his possessions. You know, we really need to just pause for a minute and just think about the words of that one of those songs that we sang. When the lies speak louder than the truth. And friends, I'm, I'm here to tell you that the lie that you're going to be happier if you get more, that your life consists of what you own, that is a lie that is blaring through the siren at every song you hear, every radio station, everything says, get more. And look, it, it even gets so twisted in, you know, you got to be more successful. Absolutely. Live up to your God-given potential. And see, all of those things are true, but there's like a little twist to it. If the end game is what, what I can get and what I can have, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves, listen, treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You know, it's very hard in this life because we're always wanting to hold on to money and to what we think money can provide for us. But we can't serve two masters. We have to place value on treasures in heaven, which are what? They're relationships. They're things that we do for God. They're things that we develop in our character. They're the ways in which we help people, good works and those types of things. These are where we should place our treasures. Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to have riches or to have money. Look, throughout the Bible, many of the people who were very blessed had great wealth. In Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to some of those who are rich and he tries to explain to them they had been very successful. And successful people, when their focus is right, can do really, really good things. Look what he says, as for the rich in this present age, which is all of us, by the way, we are all rich in this present age. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes or their focus on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, God gave us this world to enjoy. All these good things, they, they have a place. But we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up for tre treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. What's that future? That's how we store up these treasures in heaven as we use the riches, the money, the resources that we have to do good things, to be generous, to share with others, so that what we may take hold of that, which is truly life. And this is a warning because it's very difficult. The more resources we have, the more money we get. It seems like the more money we want. Have you ever noticed that when you buy something, when you get that, sometimes you automatically think, well, man, if I'd have just had a little more, I could have got that. Or I could have got that feature. Or I could have got that house. Because that's the way it works. We always want something a little bit more, a little bit bigger, a little bit better. And that's why he warns us about how dangerous wealth is. Because we tend to make it something that we accomplished. And oftentimes it is things that we have done in a good way. Sometimes it's not 
Some people abuse others to get it. And that's a very interesting point there. He calls them out. He calls them out. He says, look, you've taken advantage of other people to get it. Now look, there's something very important you need to understand. Just because something's legal, just because something is doable, just because you can get away with something doesn't mean that it's right. And that's very important. I meet people all the time who approach negotiations and approach things like, well, if I can get away with it or if I can do this or I can take advantage, okay, maybe you're smarter. Maybe you're a better communicator. Well, guess what? That don't mean it's right. And that certainly doesn't mean that God is going to say, give his stamp of approval on it. No, many people who've achieved wealth have achieved it by taking advantage of others. And that's no good. Matter of fact, that's going to rot away. And we ultimately all have to answer for the things that we do. So don't, don't just look at someone and say, oh, well, they did that. There's, you know, maybe they didn't do it in an honorable way. And you can generally bet that if they have tremendous wealth and they're not doing anything good with it, oftentimes that's an indication of how the way they approached people and things to get it. No, we're called to do good things with the money that we have. Look, Jesus told a story to his disciples that's haunted me often. It's a story of the rich young ruler. Many of you have heard it. And the story is Jesus basically is walking along with the disciples and these people come... <clears throat> He's walking along, and I'm going to just read it to you. Don't let me just paraphrase it because it's that important. Mark chapter 10. He says, As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man comes running up to him. He kneels down and he asks, this is sitting on the screen, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this guy comes running up to Jesus, asking him, What can I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, this is a troubling deal because at some time in your life you're like, why would Jesus ask him to do that? We don't know why Jesus asked this man to do that. Other than that was what was holding him back from really giving his life to God. All right? And Jesus is, can, he can look beyond all of our own pretensions and all of those things like that. And apparently, you know, we don't know the context of why this guy, was he trying to trick Jesus well, who knows what was going on in this particular situation? But even in spite of all that, Jesus cared for the guy, and he realized that the one thing that was keeping him from really understanding who Jesus was was how important his money was to him. So he told him, go sell it all. Give it away. Then come follow me. Now, it, what's interesting here is... That could have been part of his family for years. That could have been something he worked really hard for. But in perspective, if that was keeping him from knowing who Jesus was and what God wanted him to do, it had no value. And see, really, that's the point of all of it. 
is we have to have a certain amount of resources to live, to buy food, to do all of that, okay? I'm not saying that, and I don't think Jesus was saying that. He often said that, all right? But if the possessions, if money is something that becomes more valuable to you than understanding who God is and what God's doing, in Jesus' mind, he tells that guy, just get rid of it. Because now it's, help, it's hurting you, it's not helping you. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's the part that haunts me. Jesus said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I want you to understand how important it is for you to really contemplate this. Because when you get to the place, whatever the place looks like, where you have to account for all of the deeds and everything in your life, okay, what you thought about this or thought about that or, or whether what anybody else did, that, that is, that's all going to fade away. Like really what's only going to matter then is what's true. And it won't be what you think is true or what so-and-so told you is true. No, at that point, the only thing that's going to matter is what's true. And Jesus said it's very hard. He didn't say it was impossible. He said it's hard. And so that's why James gives the warning. Be careful about riches because they will grab onto you. And before you know it, you'll have more. You'll want more. You'll want to take more. It's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. This amazed them. So the disciples heard that, and they're like me and you. They're like, whoa, wait a minute now. Hold on. This guy just said he did all. He obeyed all the commandments. He did all the stuff. He checked all the boxes. Now look what Jesus didn't say. Oh, he didn't even tone it back a little. Look what he says. He says, dear children, it is very hard. Very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Holy moly. So, so they said, well, well wait a minute. It, it, maybe is it really that hard? And he said, it's harder than you even think. This should cause you some concern. Because you were rich. I'm rich. Now, the good news is, now we feel kind of like the disciples felt. The disciples were astounded. Look what they said to themselves. Then who in the world can be saved? This is a hard teaching. Wait a minute. They're just saying, this ain't right. Look, but look what Jesus says. Jesus looked at them intently and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible. See, there's a very serious warning here about putting your focus and all your energy and abandoning your principles to get money. Money and the love of it is the root of all evil, the Bible says. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard. It doesn't mean that when we work hard, we don't make money. And listen, we talk about how God has used the money that we have been given to accomplish great things. And those are 100% true. But you have to be careful that you don't allow it to become what you're focused on. And it's very, very difficult. 
It's been very difficult in every age, but it's increasingly difficult in an age where everything is on social media about making money, accomplishing this. It's all about what you can get, all about what you can have, all about getting it the way you want it. Listen, this is a tremendous tool of the enemy. Don't focus all your energy and abandon your principles to get money. Anybody who tells you to do that, just walk away. Get away from that. There'll be many eloquent speakers. There'll be many passionate people. There'll be many successful people who will tell you that. But when they tell you that, change direction because that's not going to lead you where you want to go. Focus on using the money that you have to glorify God. How do you do that? You need God's help, I believe. I mean, how do you, how do you focus on using what resources you have to, uh, to help, to do what God wants you to do? I think being a part of a church is a great thing. I think it's a key thing. But I don't think it's just that. I think you, you engage. Look, we don't even have a way at our church for you to use all of your resources to engage in what God is doing. It's just one small part of it. Look, every day you have opportunities to do that. Your, your resources are what you do with your time, like in your work, like so many of you, it's your job. Are you using that resource to accomplish what God wants you to do? In your, in your enjoyment, in your leisure time, you can use that for God, whatever it is. So we close today. Will we heed those warnings? Listen, heed the warnings. Three of them. Don't focus on others. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on money. All of those are very challenging. We know they didn't get it right 100% of the time. We know they're still Christians because James, he, know, he calls them Christians, and he, but he's telling them, look, you've got to be careful of these three things. And those aren't the only three things, but those are three tough things. And so I ask you today to really contemplate, hey, am I going to heed the warnings that I see in the Scriptures today? Getting focused on what other people are doing instead of myself. Getting focused so much on myself that I lose focus on what God is wanting to do. And am I going to get so focused on money that I'll abandon my own principles, that I'll quit being who I'm supposed to be, quit doing what I'm supposed to do? And ultimately, I guess really the question is, am I willing to put my focus on God instead of anything else? Well, that's what it's ultimately all about. You see, if your focus is on God, all the other things will come into the right focus. And so that's what I want us to think about today is maybe we haven't. And I know I haven't in every way that I should have. Maybe I haven't had the exact right focus on God. Maybe I have gotten the wrong focus on some of what other people are doing, on maybe some resources, maybe on my own self-worth, self-value. Well, guess what? Let's ask God to forgive us. That's all you do. You ask God to forgive you for that. I'm sorry. And then you do what? Then you realign and put your focus in the right place. And that's possible because of what he did on the cross. And that's why every Sunday we celebrate communion because really that's the grounding point at which we get to reset. See, I, that's, that's what I need. I mean, I need to be able to reset because I, I leave out of here on Sunday and I go out and I got these plans of what I want to do. And I mean, look, it's not Monday or Tuesday. And I'm, I'm, sometimes I can't even make it to the end of the day Sunday. And I'm like off track, maybe like you. 
guess what? You get to reset as we refocus on what God did for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to heed the warnings given through these scriptures today to not allow our focus to be on these wrong things and in the wrong ways, but to place our focus on you and what you want to do in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.